Hi, we're Congress. A bunch of high school students from Muscatine, Iowa, trying to make a dent in the universe. And this is our podcast. Locally Global! Hello, my name is Raquel Navarrete, and my goal is number eight. This deals with economic sustainability in countries around the world. This affects everyone within a country, and the UN's goal is to help everyone reach towards economic stability, mainly through a stable job, and create businesses that affect communities and cities in a great way. A country's economy can hold so much potential if only the government can recognize its own people living within it. From small communities to large cities, people are ultimately affected by their economic status. Whether it be a factory or a small restaurant down the street, ultimately, these businesses are important not only because they contribute to our economy, but they also are a factor that help people stay employed and receive an income. Considering reports from the UNPD.org, an estimated 172 million people worldwide were without work in 2018. That's an unemployment rate of 5%, which is definitely a progress from the past 20 years, but yet we can do better. Especially with nonprofit organizations like Nest, where its goal is to help build businesses through people's art while also help alleviate communities in poverty while empowering women. La Cocina is also an amazing nonprofit organization that is helping to work empower immigrants and people of color to help them get started into entrepreneurship along with having business ownership and equity. These programs and many more out there in the world are help contributing to the stability of an economic status in a country. But what's it like working in a community's chamber of commerce? Today, I'm going to be speaking with Adam Thompson, a man who works here within the chamber of commerce here in Muscatine, Iowa, to tell me all about it. My name is Adam Thompson. I'm the Director of Economic Development with the Chamber of Commerce. The place of, of the Chamber is kind of being being a spokesperson for the community. Um, On to the interview, I asked Adam what it was like growing up. You know, I, I don't think there was ever a, a point in time when I'm like, oh, this is the career field I want to go into. You know, when I was a child, like, I always wanted to build stuff. So my undergraduate's in civil engineering, and then after that I got my master's degree in urban and regional planning. I have always had a passion for entrepreneurship. When I was in college, I built and sold a number of startup companies. And so it's always been something that I've been really interested in and been involved in. So, you know, it's just kind of a matter of, you know, finding purpose in something that you enjoy doing. And, you know, I've, I've found that with economic development, you know, I get to help other people, other businesses, but also help a community help to fulfill, you know, their dreams and aspirations. Adam's been at this kind of work for a while, and he certainly found his niche. But the best part of his job is... The biggest one is, and it's just because, you know, it's, it's, it's more personal and you see so much more emotion with it, is, you know, working with small businesses and... You know, seeing seeing their dreams come true. And prior to coming over to the Chamber of Commerce, I was with the city of Muscatine, and I managed a small business forgivable loan program with the city. And one person in particular, they've been running a business out of you know a food truck, and it is always their dream to have a restaurant. You know, and I was able to help them with this program. You know, find a space and give them some financing so that they could get into their first building. And they've been able to grow and expand since then. And it's just that's the the greatest thing that that I see from it. And you said you've always wanted to build things. Do you know, like, was it from a small age? Did you get it from your dad? Did you grow up in that environment? Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so... Um 
you know, uh, at least with my personal family, I was the first one to go to college. I was raised extremely poor. Um, you know, my parents worked relatively low-paying jobs, and you know, but I never really realized it until you know you you grow up and get a little older. And you know, my reality was a little different than other people's reality. That's actually really cool to hear coming from you because you know my parents were pretty much in the same position, like. They were immigrants. My dad came here from Mexico, and it was at a very young age too. He just knew he didn't want that for his family when he grew up. So he got me and my mom over here, and you know he's very hardworking. You know I appreciate him every day for that. So I like that we can relate to something like that. I never thought actually that you know somebody like you and your position would actually start from something like that. No, it is, and it's it's awesome, and and it's beyond that. It's interesting how. you know, our opinions and our viewpoint and stuff continue to change. Like uh, my girlfriend and her family are in the same position. You know, they were immigrants from Mexico. And, you know, I had one opinion on how things were. And then getting to know them and understanding uh, things, you know, on a more personal level, it just just kind of opens your perspective that things that you think, you know, really may not be that way and, and really how difficult it is in, in our country. Anybody can do anything and, you know, as long as they have a passion and will and drive for it. But that's not to say that it's the same um, the same ease or the same uh, difficulty for people. Yeah. And, and I see that definitely with them that, you know, they can achieve anything, but it's, it's definitely um, it's very difficult. Yeah, I think it's so important to, like, hear people's stories, not just know what they do for a job, you know? So, mm-hmm. I appreciate you telling me that. Here in Muscatine, Iowa, we are in the Midwest of America, pretty much right in the middle. We are in the southeast of Iowa, right on the Mississippi, with a population of 23,000. Muscatine wasn't always known for its corn, but back then, Iowa was known for its trees around the area and a great source of lumber, mills, and other forms of woodworking. Then in coming with a railroad, the woodworks of Muscatine would be constantly shipped in and out for its business, and this attracted businessmen in investing in the properties here, which led to Muscatine being one major source of being a wood and mills-based industry. Then in 1887, a man named John Fred Bopel, a German migrant, had a specialty in making buttons and came across them here in Muscatine. So Muscatine quickly became known as being the world's largest pearl button manufacturer, employing many that lived in the area and becoming the pearl button capital of the world. Yeah, so I guess stepping back a little bit and, and looking at economic development, so there's there's a couple of different elements that we work in or kind of sectors that we work in within economic development. Uh, one of them is uh, business retention and growth. So essentially that revolves around working with current businesses and industries that we have here in the Muscatine community and and being a resource to help them continue to grow really a matter of building strength in Muscatine build a business strength you know in the hopes of employing more people further investment in Muscatine and we've seen that with a number of the legacy companies that we have that we have here in Muscatine you know your H&I your Kent uh, you know the, the probably the top pillars of that their continual uh, investment in Muscatine but beyond that uh, Muscatine is a, is a really unique community and the number of uh, fortune 500 companies or very large national international companies that we have either major operations here or headquarters here 
it always seems a place that is cared about significantly and has always continued to, to reinvest in Muscatine. So that's one element of it, and that's where we spend most of our time. The national average is about 80% of all economic development comes from business retention and, and, and business uh, growth. Here in Muscatine, it's the percentage is far higher than that. It's probably more like you know 98, 99% of our economic development comes from growth from within rather than attracting from the outside. We are looking for businesses, looking to attract businesses similar to what we already have here in Muscatine that are looking at Muscatine as a place that you know they want to call home, a place that they want to make investment beyond just business operations, but an investment in a community and want to become integrated within a community. Because Muscatine's been really successful with that. I mean, we've Muscatine has always had very low unemployment rate. It's because the businesses care about this community. And that's something that we want to make sure that we continue to retain in the future. You know, and, and Muscatine has some some really great business resources and assets that are really attractive to potential businesses. But, you know, the most recent business that we attracted to Muscatine, it's a little bit of an oddball, but it was Kent Precision Foods, so a division of uh, Kent Corporation. They were headquartered in St. Louis, and just last year they announced that they were moving their headquarters to Muscatine. Uh, it's a small project, but, I mean, it's, you know, a little bit over 30 very high-paying jobs that, that were created here in Muscatine. Prior to that, the last major new business that we attracted in Muscatine would have been Monsanto, now known as Bear. That would have been the last major one from, from an industrial standpoint. But those are the biggest elements of economic development, but there's other elements that play into that. And, you know, I can make a case for about anything and how it ties into economic development. So when we look at like quality of life, we want Muscatine to be a place that people want to live and people enjoy living, you know, so making Muscatine cool, making Muscatine a place that people want to be, well, that's, that's an element of economic development. It's an important piece of economic development because businesses need people. Another major aspect of that is, you know, the quality of your employees. So when we look at education and training and opportunities there, that, that's that's huge. So the quality of, your, you know, of the system and you're in right now, our high school system and middle school, elementary school, and, and being able to, you know, challenge and push kids in that environment, but also give them skills and resources and, you know, the the step and the push in the right direction to be successful within the workforce at whatever whatever element it may be whether it be a phd bio engineer at one of the corporations or just an electrician or a laborer and i don't want to denigrate or you know not think that those are valuable. I mean, those are extremely important and valuable positions to the business environment that we have here in Muscatine. The major limitation that we have for attracting businesses to Muscatine is employees. Our unemployment rate in Muscatine, you know, goes between 2% and 2.5%, which is really low. But also, I mean, we have low unemployment rate. This is also where you see many more advances in automation. The impact of automation, which Adam mentions, has been a conversation that worries many in America. But what exactly is the impact? Oxford University researchers claim that technology will transform many jobs, including finding that 47% of U.S. workers work 
they are automating that more. Have a high probability of seeing their jobs being automated in the next 20 years. But along with this change, many jobs can also be created and being adapted to as well. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, the negatives of automation that's, you know, taking away jobs and that sort of stuff. But if you really look at the situation, you look at employments and facilities that are automating, you actually don't see that. They're just being redeployed with different tasks and different resources. There's a great example of that, and it's it's a large example. Uh, Cooper Tire was indicating that they may move their uh, major tire production uh, out of the United States into China. And they went to their state economic development agency and said, hey, we're going to do one of two things. We're going to stay where we're at and build a new multi-billion dollar facility. However, we're going to cut 700 employees or we're going to move to China. And a, a very difficult decision, but the the state was more or less, well, we need to keep the jobs that we do have here. We want this investment in, in our state. And, but what's interesting from that is they were able to get the project done, but because of automation, because of their new system, their plant was so efficient in producing so many tires that not only did they not lay off the 700 people that they anticipated, they actually hired an additional 200 people because they were just being so productive. And what you see a lot of times is, again, you're transitioning from very labor-intensive positions where there's injuries and other things, but also those those aren't high-paying jobs either. You know, a lot of times they, they tend to be lower-paying jobs. And you're transitioning, you know, when you start bringing in, you know, additional education, additional training, well, that also means a higher wage for them as well. So not only were they hiring, they hired more people, but they're also getting paid more. With the talks of big businesses here in Muscatine, I wanted to know more about small businesses and what they contribute. I think it's really important to understand that none of these will be successful in a vacuum. Any Anything that you're looking at has to be diverse. The small businesses that we have here in Muscatine and really small businesses across the country do play a vital importance to the dynamics of the community, not just from a commerce standpoint, but also from a quality of life standpoint. You need restaurants where people aren't going to want to live in your community. You know, people like to go out to eat. Adam and his girlfriend are small business owners. They started a successful coffee shop in our historic downtown called the Black Pearl. Beyond just an aspect of having a coffee shop, you know, she really wanted that to be a place that that people could come together, that they could relax, that they could enjoy time, you know, and really just be a safe haven or just, she wanted to feel like home. And something that she, you know, she had a dream for and, you know, and I really just came in as the, the push more or less to uh, uh, help her keep moving forward on those and, you know, just, just be a resource. You know, small business is, is extremely hard. It's extremely uh, difficult, but there's also so many rewards that you get to it. If you're starting to restaurant because you think you're going to be filthy rich and all that. Well, that that's not the case. You can, you know, a lot of where, you know, Monica and I are at with the coffee shop, you know, it takes time to build a business and, you know, the, the greatest enjoyment that we see is people enjoying what we're doing, enjoying the space, enjoying the coffee, enjoying the food. You know, that's really where we're getting our satisfaction from. So after talking with Adam Thompson, I learned so many new things from what the Chamber of Commerce does, from how businesses are able to grow, and even got surprised with his own personal journey to get to where he is now. With that said, let's get a closer look into a global perspective on my goal. But we see many lines being taken just to find that one stable job and income to help provide themselves or even a whole family. 
Many reports today are focused on the fact that people from around the world, but especially in the U.S.'s southern border, of people simply wanting to come to find that one stable job. But why? This goes back to my goal number A with the country's economic stance and how people are living within it. In this interview, I'll be speaking with Gina Steffens, who is a journalist with Nat Geo. She writes and reports on stories about people who are affected by these conditions in South America. Today, she will give me a better insight into what people are going through and even educate me about an informal economy sector as well. Are you ready to do the interview? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you? Yeah, I'm excited. Right, um, cool. Okay, so can you please first introduce yourself? Yeah, um, my name's Gina Steffens. I am a writer and photographer and a National Geographic explorer, and I'm based in Colombia. I think that journalism can be can be you know, use this as a tool to unite people. And that's sort of what I would like to do oh, no, through yeah, my role. That's really, like, amazing. Because for me, at least, I love hearing personal stories. I love reading, you know, biographies, autobiographies about people's stories and how, you know, they rose up from probably a dark place or, you know, just their journey in general is, I think, yeah. pretty amazing to hear, especially the emotional connection you can have with that person. Absolutely. That's just that's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree uh, with you. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, it actually kind of surprised me that at first you told me you lived in Colombia because certain people, I guess, are not as lucky that you know, they have a hard time finding jobs, and so they try to come to the U.S., and, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's probably the reason why uh, America is, like, a pull factor for them, and, but, you know, there's, it's not like that all around, so that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, totally, totally. So, the goal is actually in number eight, so mm -hmm. it deals a lot with the economic stability in countries and for one's own well-being. When you travel to other countries, do you see the differences between economic development like right away? Pretty much all the traveling I've done in my life has been in the Americas, you know, in Latin America and the United States. Kind of depends on where you are in the U.S. because there's certainly parts of the, I'm from the, I grew up in the South and there's certainly areas in the South that uh, where you can see a lack of economic development. I would say that it's a lot more evident in in many of the Latin American countries that I've that I've traveled in. You know, usually it's that's sort of something that's prevalent everywhere and there might be, you know, one neighborhood that is like the very fancy neighborhood where you don't really see where you don't really see it, but mm -hmm. everywhere else it's I mean, it's really common. In South America, have you ever been told a story or about somebody struggling to put food on the table, for, you know, because of their, you know, economic stability is not really actually there? Uh, could you tell me what it was like for them? It's so common, you know, back to this place where I've spent several years living in Colombia, Caquetá. It's a very rural area and um, it's a it's a place that is, you know, even compared to the rest of the country, it has very, very, very little economic development. It's so common, even though people there's land and, the, and people should be farming. It's really common to see children who are malnourished and 
and honestly, you know, this is sort of maybe wavering away a bit from from your point, but this this food insecurity that people often experience, it's even a, a factor that leads people to join armed groups like the park because you know if they're just living in there in on you know on this little farm and they don't really have anything to eat and then the FARC shows up and they offer them three meals a day then a lot of times the people people will accept that and I totally understand them in that position when people don't have food in their belly it can really lead you to make decisions that you wouldn't ordinarily make and I think that that plays into you know choices like joining an armed group or migrating to another country or robbing someone I think many many of them would not make make the kinds of decisions that they're forced to make when that's not the case yeah definitely I mean either either way is hard either joining an armed gang or you know, traveling at large distances is definitely hard and takes a toll on all those people. But it all probably falls between the government, I guess, paying attention to those people, you know, mm-hmm. helping programs, trying to reach out to those people. I bet that, you know, helps a lot, but unfortunately, it's just not always there. Yeah, exactly. You know, we read one of your stories. It was about a man who you know, wanted to come to the United States and he had three chances. I think he lost two of them. I'm assuming his job probably wasn't stable back at his home. Did you, right. could you tell me, can you tell me about that story, please? So this guy, you know, he comes, he, he's a, Gua- a guy from Guatemala. He comes from a big family. He's, he's the oldest child in his family. And, uh, you know, where the place that he's from in Guatemala he, he's sort of in a role in his family where he needs to be putting food on the table for his siblings and for his mother and grandparents. And living in Guatemala, that wasn't really possible for him to do. And so he decided to take the chance to migrate to the United States where he could even even having a very low paying job, just the, you know, the amount of money that he could earn working in the United States would allow him to send a pretty significant portion of his income back to his family in Guatemala. And that would allow them to really improve their own living situation. Today, many people across the world need another source of income, which is where remittances come to play. Remittances is a form of money transferring service sending cash, often to family members when they are in need. Remittances have a record high in 2018 of $529 billion, which is an increase of 9.6% for low to middle income countries, according to the World's Bank latest migration and development brief. This overall increase could be the cause of a stronger economy and employment rate in the U.S. These migrants who are coming to the United States are in. They're trying to simply support their families back home, um, in situations where there's not steady sources of income and in extreme cases that can mean that people can't afford medicines and and basic needs stuff like that so he was just trying to come to the united states to get a job in order to support his family back home i guess we could see uh, many links being taken for people in order to have that one stable job you know in an yeah. economy so big 
you told me in uh in an email about a story about these trash pickers people that the difference you see between people being paid to you know go around the neighborhood and pick up trash so yeah. can you tell me a bit about that please yeah of course so in in places like latin america so latin america has i i'm pretty sure it's the highest rate of urbanization in the world so that you know that's like in Latin America, more people move into cities every day than pretty much anywhere else on Earth. And so when there's all these people moving into cities so quickly, a lot of times there's a lot of waste that's get, that gets generated that cities, uh, and you know, like big cities, they don't, they don't have the ability to deal with it all you know they don't have the ability to process and collect all of that waste and dispose of it properly and so in a lot of these places waste picking which you know trash pickers waste pickers that's sort of a almost like a survival activity that some people rely on uh, in places where there's not other huge range of jobs where there's a lot of poverty where there's a lack of social programs um, waste picking becomes something that anyone can do just to make the you know very bare minimum of money in order to survive people living in the cities will take out their trash and in that trash there's lots of often lots of recyclable materials so like plastic and glass and aluminum that sort of thing and so waste pickers go around taking you know looking through trash and taking out these recyclable materials which they then sell in a lot of places this is an informal it's a part of the informal economy so they're not employed by anybody to do this they just go out there and find it and then sell it independently Jobs in the informal sector can often include people like vendors, merchandise sellers of things like vegetables to jewelry, trash collectors, cross-border traders, shoe shiners, and more. 21% of the workers are informally employed, which leads to around 2 billion workers worldwide. In the developing world, many of these jobs are crucial for one's own living, but improving the economic positions have the ability to improve living standards, reducing poverty, and changes the country's economy as a whole. The problem is not the lack of good workers, but it's more so because of the lack of good jobs for people. The greatest percent of informal employment can be found in sub-Saharan Africa, where around 92% of the population finds itself to be a part of the informal employment, along with Southern Asia, with 88% of the population having informal employment as well. What's really interesting um, and something that I've been sort of curious about for this story I'm working on you know, the story that I'm working on takes place in Guatemala, but I live in, in Bogota, in Colombia. And it's really interesting because a few years ago, Bogota decided to try to formalize the the waste pickers industry. And so basically in Bogota, you know, there are all these all these people living in the city, not employed by anyone who would go around trying to dig out the recyclables out of the trash. But then they decided to try to formalize this sector and basically take all those people who are working independently and say, okay, we're, you know, let's start this company and you guys will be employed by this company. And so that for them can be really great because now instead of, instead of them being, you know, these people who are sort of, 
often, unfortunately, often seem to be sort of marginalized from the rest of society. You know, people sort of associate them with being criminals or because they're picking through the trash, they think that they're dirty or that they're, you know, sick or people don't want them around. But once this industry was formalized, you know, these people have, you know, they have a legal job, they get a paycheck and they have, you know, uniforms and there's better controls to limit their exposure to, you know, disease vectors and it makes their job more safe. And at the same time, it's, you know, it's a win-win situation because not only are you sort of bringing these people in and, and making them part of a functional society, but you're also strengthening the ability for the city to keep its streets clean. As a result, Bogota has, you know, one of the highest rates of recycling in Latin America, and it's one of the cleanest cities in Latin America. Well, it's important for people to move to informal sector because often in informal sectors, people risk delayed payment, low wages, and relies on daily earnings, which can easily backfire and can be a risky move for those that have families. Giving an opportunity to be a part of a formal sector gives the person fixed salaries, savings, loans, and entitled benefits from the government, which include important things like health insurance, pension, and more. Well, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea for the, at least the government to really consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm nearing the n- end of the period, but I want to thank you so much for talking to me and taking this time, you know, letting me know more about Latin America and how people live there and you know everything is just I can't appreciate it enough yeah it was my pleasure great talking to you all right have a safe flight thanks bye you too bye-bye and just like that I was done having such an interesting interview with stories being told through one person while every story is different and every situation is different everyone should have the ability to receive a stable income and job A country's government should pay attention to these vulnerable communities and recognize its uneven development in order to fix it and improve its people's lives within it as well. All across the world, people are dealing with different problems, but we are the ones that are able to help. Whether it be donating through organizations, getting more informed, and even just spreading awareness, we are able to make an impact and help achieve these goals one at a time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Locally Global and tune in next week and you'll hear from Connor Naden and learn about Goal 9, industry innovation and infrastructure which deals with economic growth and 5G internet. Special thanks to Gina Steffens and Katie Thornton for the tips on tricks on how to make this podcast come alive. And a big thank you to Mr. Hayes for giving me the opportunity to use his computers. And of course, thank you to Adam Thompson and Gina Steffens for their time being a part of this episode. It would not be possible without them.